I got I got an important question about the epic video. Is is it true that the fish in the epic video belong to Bjork? Welcome. We are Neil, Luke, and Dave. Three forty-somethings reminiscing on the runners and riders of nineties guitar music. We look at the bands who soundtracked our youth on both sides of the pond and interview some of our heroes from the bands that defined a generation. You'll hear about the good, the bad and the ugly of 90s guitar music. This podcast is stupid and contagious. All right, welcome to episode three of the Stupid and Contagious podcast. Hope you're enjoying the other two episodes um, that we've put out getting some good feedback on those so thanks for watching and listening please remember to subscribe if you're watching it on youtube and if you're listening to it give it a five star review and leave reviews and all that sort of thing whatever you need to do to get the podcast found today we're going to uh speak to roddy bottom from faith no more which is exciting it's a big one yeah so uh luke for anyone who's listening and watching who doesn't know Give us a little bit of a rundown on uh, the history of Faith No More. Well, first of all, I mean, how would you even categorise what Faith No More sound like? You can't. <laughs> right? There, there, well, we talk about go. this in the interview a little bit, right? I mean, they were yeah. like, I think they started off like an art rock kind of band, but then they kind of, they were, you know, some saw them as a metal band. Were they a synth yeah. band? Were they an alternative indie band? Were they a rock? What, 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 what were they, right? Really hard to sort of narrow that yeah. down. Dave? Rock first for me. Rock mm. first. Then plus the other bits. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in there, isn't there? Like, we've, we've talked about it in the interview, but with, with uh, Roddy's keyboards and all that sort of stuff, it's just a, it's a crazy mix. Anyway, yeah. t- tell us a bit more about them. All right, well, the origins go right back to 1979, unbelievably. Shut which up. Is- a very, very long time ago. A different form of the band. Um, Roddy joined that form of the band in 1981, um, right. which, again, very long time ago. They were called Faith No Man back then. Uh, again, no he explains this in the interview. San Francisco, this is, so early 80s San Francisco. Um, they f- became Faith No More in 1983, um, so a couple of years later. Um Again, we talk about in the interview, but um, the idea of not having like a permanent singer. So they That's went for right, several yeah. months without having like a proper singer. Um, then very famously, Courtney Love uh, was a singer for a few months. Yes, indeed. Um, and then finally, sometime in 1983, they settled on Chuck Mosley as the, the kind of the permanent singer. And they settled down as a bit more of a established band um, around then. They released two albums with Chuck, um, We Care A Lot, which is kind of overlooked um, these it, days. I yeah. mean, We Care A Lot and Introduce Yourself, they've got some same songs on, is that right? Or well, We Care A Lot is on both. Um, but right. the, to be honest, though, I mean, if you listen to it, it's not really like a coherent album. It does seem yeah. like a very scrappy kind of put together set Still of things, finding, basically. finding their sound, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of understandable that it's that it's overlooked. So then Introduce Yourself came out in 1987 and gave him a couple of kind of semi-hit singles with a re-release of We Care A Lot. I didn't realise, but um, those two songs, uh, We Care A Lot and Introduce Yourself, Roddy's got co- co-writing credits for the lyrics on those. Oh, 
There we go. We didn't ask him about that, but yeah. I didn't know until I looked into it a bit deeper. Yeah. Well, the the classic lineup is basically Mike Bourdain on drums, Billy Ward on bass, Jim Martin on guitar, Roddy on keyboards, and then first of all Chuck Mosley on vocals, and then of course Mike Patton came in. So, which is where we are in the story. So, basically, Chuck got fired in '87, Mike Patton yeah. joined, um, super young, like 20, 21 years old, and uh, front, made all the man, difference. Hey. I mean, you know, Chuck Mosley was also a great front man, and I love his vocal as well. Chuck Mosley, uh, I love that, um, Introduce Yourself album, I think it's great, totally different yeah. to uh, the next one, but. I, I yeah, exactly. It's a really good album. Same. It's interesting, like, um, like Roddy talks about it a little bit, but the idea of, you know, replacing, like, a, a kind of a weird-looking black guy with, like, this ridiculously good-looking white boy, yeah. um, 20 years old, you know, white boy, and then suddenly they became, you know, super popular. I think there was a, definitely a, a connection uh, in that, you know. I think that, that transition happened in between when they were recording the real th- real thing. Is that right? I think that's what he says in the interview. Mm. So they were already, mm. I think they were already recording the real thing when uh, Chuck Mosey left and Mike Patton joined. And I think they were getting the song, some of the songs ready, but yeah. 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 Real Thing came out in 89. Epic came out January 1990 and basically Faith No More just went massive after that. that. Big tours uh, with Metallica, Guns N' Roses, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, when we saw them, so basically there's this, they're like a huge stadium rock band and what they did is follow it up in 1992 with Angel Dust, which is like a insane album and basically yes, self-sabotage himself. It was a brave move. Paid off, but it was a brave move. Well, it didn't because I mean, you know, I think like yeah, financially it didn't, it didn't. They could have made another stadium rock record you know um but they didn't they made like a weird i don't even know what it is like a, a weird art rocky thing one of the problems with that album is most of the songs you couldn't play on the radio yeah 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 but they were too weird yeah well yeah. weird and and it, uh a bit of swearing in it yeah it wasn't very radio friendly a lot of it obviously you had midlife crisis which is a great song after that they then turned around and followed it followed it up with a with a cover of Easy, played completely straight, not trying to make it weird or anything, done completely straight and had the biggest hit of their career, you know. It's a good no, cover, but... but it's not them, is it? It's definitely not my, anywhere near my favourite track from them. What is your favourite track? Epic, probably. It's probably That's probably one of mine as well. Mm. I think I prefer the Real Thing album, to be fair. Uh, Angel Dust is my favourite album, although if I had to pick a favourite track, I'd probably go for Edge of the World. Which is on the real scene. Right. That's such but a yeah. fucked up song. If you ever listen to it, it's like it's, if you listen to it, it's got like um like Roddy's got this like beautiful piano kind of thing going on, and it sounds like this kind of like waltzy kind of lounge number. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's about like a paedophile and shit like that. It's like a really <laughs> fucked up song. Yeah, really. Yeah. Hey, little oh, girl, would you like some really candy? Awesome. All that kind of stuff, oh, man. Yeah. It's like a yeah, fucked yeah, yeah. up song. But again, that's that's perfect. That's perfect faith no more, right? That contradiction, yeah. you know. So we went to see them. On I haven't Vegas. finished the um. I haven't finished the oh, timeline, right, okay. man. Are we? Are we... Oh, come on, then. No, no. What no, do you want to no, do? Do you want 
No, go on, go on, go on. Let's let's no do the fucking time. This will follow the time. No, this will follow the timeline if you talk about it now. No, just do the fucking timeline. Fucking hell. Um, So they had a couple more albums after that, basically. um, That with diminishing returns, basically King for a Day, Fall for a Lifetime, uh, in '95, and an album called Album of the Year in '97. Um, To be honest, I'd stop listening by them. Um, Although a lot of people, a lot of fans. Say King King for a Day is a good record. I'm not. I'm not particularly. Uh, I don't particularly agree. Roddy basically didn't have any input in in those last couple of albums, and I think it it probably shows. Did not? Um, although but by this it... time he was he was working on his new band Imperial Team, and they were like an yeah, indie think... pop kind of band. Really good. Yeah, I think the band, <clears throat> although Faith No More was still together, I think they'd have splintered off into their own projects as well, hadn't they? So Mike Patton had been doing Mr. Bungle before he joined Faith No More. He'd been doing that since like early, you know, mid eighties. So yeah, yeah, Roddy um, had a band, Imperial Teen. They're still going, I think. They've released like six albums uh, Mm. since like ninety five. Really good, like um, indie kind of pop music focusing on queer themes, obviously, which a lot of people weren't doing at the time and still aren't doing now. Yeah, if you think about it, what that was sort of well thirty years ago, nearly, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and especially like the whole kind of the scene was very kind of macho right yeah so yeah, yeah. for roddy to even come out well he wasn't he was never in the closet it's just he i, I no. heard him talk about it and he said you know i wasn't i wasn't in the closet no one just no one talked about it. no one asked me yeah no, you know? one, no one spoke about it yeah so he did fight he spoke about it in like uh 93 in a in an article and he mm. didn't make a big deal of it um, but yeah, he he made it like yeah, yeah. a big focus of Imperial Team. So they broke up in 1998, basically. Reformed in 2009 and played some festivals. Had a comeback album in 2015, Soul Invictus, which is an amazing album. Uh, really, really yeah. good. Very sadly, Chuck Mosley died in 2017, aged yeah. only 57 years old. So yeah. Uh, that's where they're at, and um, Roddy, who's uh, you know the main focus, he's just still doing like really interesting stuff. So he had a band. See this one behind me with the squares. That's a band called the Crickets, which um, I just discovered after we spoke to him, and this just came out uh, twenty nineteen. It's a collaboration oh. with him and JD Sampson out of La Tigra, who I'm a massive, massive uh, oh, okay. yeah. fan of. They're like a um, feminist kind of electro group who I'm a massive fan of with Kathleen Hanna. It's kind of post uh, Bikini Kill group. Six songs, um, just kind of like electro, electro, like DIY electro kind of music. Really, uh, for me, I really, really like it, but I, I like everything JD Sampson does anyway. So then he's got uh, a band with his partner, uh, Joey Holman, and that's called Man on Man. They've had two oh, albums good. out. Yeah, good, yeah, good. Both of them are really, really good. And the new right. album just came out uh, last month. Uh, I picked it up. I think it's better than the first. Final track on it is um, it's got Jay Maskis playing guitar on it. And it, oh, well, fuck off. Just... What's the music? What's that album like? Again, it's kind of like, I would call it like indie, electro indie. Like, so he's still with, on the keyboards. He's still on the keyboards, but there's quite, there's quite a lot of guitar on it. Both albums really good, especially the new one. Really, really good. Yeah. That's, that's Roddy. Um, that's Faith No More. So, yeah, we saw them live, Wembley Stadium, June the 12th, 1992, I believe. Could be, it might have been the 13th, but around that time. I think it's the 13th. I don't want to... Could wanna, be the 13th. Um, yeah. I could be a day out, you're right. It, but it was, Sounds it was right. th- 31 years ago, so... You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, so it, they they supported Guns N' Roses. It's fucking good actually because it was Guns N' Roses, Faith No More, and Soundgarden. You'd never um, get that again. Those three. Well, well, especially not Soundgarden. Why are they dead? <laughs> well, not all of them. The main guy is. Is he? Oh no. Yeah. Recently, but, um, Dave, just pretty disrespectful. He don't care. <laughs> I know he doesn't. doesn't I'm not even fuck. sorry. Anyway, sorry. It was Neil, a shame that was. It was a shame. Chris Cornell. It was. Yeah. Great voice. Yeah, so we saw them supporting Guns N' Roses. I'd only really heard Epic, to be fair. Oh, really? I, really I was recognized. a massive Faith No More fan. They were like right. my number one favourite band for like two whole years. That's a long yeah. time. I know, so, I know. Band. Yeah. Good but when they played, they were fucking brilliant. They were top of their game, I guess. Like Mike Patton was all over the stage. Jumping on the yeah. speaker stacks. I just remember. And... Well, not speaker stacks. So what he did is something, he somehow managed to jump something. from the stage. Now they have like the big screen. Yeah. And underneath the big screen, there's like a platform, I guess, to stop for the right. light, I guess. He somehow managed right, to right. jump from the stage yeah, onto that something. platform underneath the, the the big screen. And he was kind of yeah. like, you know, banging on the screen and jumping around. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Perhaps he but did yeah, they, parkour as a hobby. <laughs> he might have invented it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, it didn't exist back then. I tell you what, okay. if he if he Mike if he didn't invented if he parkour, did, if he didn't do parkour as a hobby, he probably should. He'd be good at it, wouldn't he? He obviously had no fear. Maybe maybe now he's a bit older, he might might not take so many risks. You're right. He invented parkour on that <laughs> at that gig. <laughs> Also, I mean, shout out to the Live at the Brixton Academy album. Uh, it's to me, it's my favourite live oh, yeah, album. Brilliant. I'm not a fan of live albums in particular, but um, it's just incredible. Isn't Mike yeah. Patton wearing some weird? Is he wearing? I'm sure he wears something weird in that. Is it? I'm a sure he's wearing like cycling shorts or something. I That's Axel that. Rose, man. That, White that, cycling shorts. Yeah, I know, but I thought Come Mike on. Patton might have done it. Well, all. the kilt is Axel Rose as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're thinking of Axel. Mike wouldn't wear sure. a kilt, man. He's like skater shorts and stuff like that, no? I'm going to have a look. Hang on. Okay. Maybe you carry on. Like some, a jumper tied around his waist and it looked like a kilt. Again, oh, that's what, Axel tying the, the no, shirt no. around his waist. White cycling shorts, bandana. No, no but no. Dave's right on that one. He did it. Um, Mike Patton did it as well when they did Rock in Rio, I think. How about Brixton Academy? Was he wearing something weird? I don't know. I'm just having a look. This is probably isn't very good for people listening, is it? That's all right, Dave. You talk more about um, Mike Parkour Patton. Well, I do have, you know, teasers because I wasn't in the interview, but it's a really good interview. And um, thanks, thanks. It's a fine line between a teaser and a spoiler, but for me, teaser. I don't spoil right. it. Well, I'm not going to spoil it. They're teasers, right? Okay. I mean, it's a fine line. The a interview, fine line the, the, the big things. The interview clears up the the. Wait, 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 wait. We can talk about it after, no. I'm scared of what no. you're going to say. Go on. No, it's a team. You've got to get people, but it clears something you. important I get... up. I trust you. I trust don't you. spoil it. Oh, and the other thing is... What? Get, what? Didn't the first <laughs> thing? What's the first thing? Well, the, the Bjork and the fish. Ah, <laughs> okay. okay. Don't, it's probably don't, the first don't, time don't. it's ever been sort of properly dealt with and cleared up. You're right. I guess so. That's an exclusive. So. That's an exclusive. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is always, like, it's pathetically nice to hear an American talk about English bands and yeah, affection yeah. for English music. 
And oh, no, it's good when they do that. A recurring theme is Top of the Pops, you know. Yeah, they love it's it, don't they? It's obvious how important that show was. And oh, no. Whoever cancelled it, it just didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, who Bring did fucking cancel it? Bring it back. It's like cancelling the proms or something like that. Or It's nothing like you know, that. The proms are shit. It's nothing like it. <laughs> yeah. But what I mean, the opposite, this is all posh people. It's the FA Cup. It's the opposite to right. cancelling okay, the proms. That's all right, here's Roddy Bottom, Faith No More. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with uh, Roddy from Faith No More. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Um, basically, you seem really busy with uh, Man on Man at the moment. Uh, how's that going? Uh, it's going pretty good. We're sort of like gearing up for the sort of new chapter. Uh, we recorded a record last summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the record's going to come out in June. So once you make that That's decision, the second, album. the second record, yeah. So once you make that decision and sort of things start going like forward in that way, then it's just like all of these things that need to be done. So this week we just did a, um, sorry, I'm making oatmeal. You carry on. Um, so we okay. did a video on Sunday that was really intense. Uh, we pretty much do everything on our own. So it's a lot of work for you guys to do but we had like 50 people in a mosh pit um nice it was kind of an insane production uh and then this week we're just sort of like we have to do like press photos it's like all these things have to happen you know yeah yeah but it's cool i feel privileged that i get to like make music you know with my boyfriend yeah right that's that's great right yeah 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 i mean you've been writing about queer themes and things since Faith No More, really, right? Is that, especially Imperial Teen as well, was that always important to you to get that voice out there? You know, back in the day when we started Imperial Teen, there weren't a lot of voices that were dealing with queer sort of like um, imagery or ideals or sort of themes. And um, it kind of feels like today even more so than back then there's sort of like reasons to sort of speak out and be loud and queer but uh yeah. i don't know when i grew up it was sort of like even starting faith no more stuff when we were kids we were like made a really big point of sort of making a splash and getting attention and sort of uh bumping against the grain sort of and i guess that's Sort of my queerness and where I go with that is sort of an extension of that. Like as a kid, like what I used to do for attention, mm-hmm. um, even with, you know, Faith No More, we were really loud and proud in our differences. And I've kind of always been that way. And uh, I guess it got a little more politically motivated when I, we started doing it, like in a queer sense with uh, Imperial Teen and now with Man on Man, it feels like uh, there's a little bit more of a political stance, but um okay so can you take us back to the beginnings of faith no more so it's early 80s san francisco is that right sure yeah i think we started in like yeah like i moved there in 1981 it's probably 1982 83 i think we started doing stuff i'm kind of i've got this kind of obsession with with the concept of decades um, you know, how they don't really start and end at the, at the beginning of the decade. Do you think it's true that like the 80s didn't really get going until like 83, 84 when you were starting putting stuff out? Did you feel that? 
interesting. I think it's different for everybody, you know, like where people were at the beginning of the decade, the middle of the decade, at the end of the decade. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Style stuff sort of came into the 80s. It feels like mid 80s. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, 1981 was like a weird time for me. Like I graduated from college. I mean, from high school. I made that decision to move up to San Francisco and for the first time I was living by myself, living with friends, like sort of like, you know, winging it on my own. Like I didn't have any support, you know, really. Um, I mean, I had support, but just like financially, I was on my own and that was something new. Uh, and that sort of spawned a whole sort of like chapter in my life. Uh, that was the 80s for me. Um, I don't know. It was a stylistic sort of thing in, in San Francisco at the same time, too. Like, stylistically, what, what was going on? Like, it felt like scrappy punk rock had just sort of, like, peaked a little bit. And we were sort of segueing into, like, a new uh, era of, like, what happens after that? Mm. So how did, uh, how did Faith and All come about? Where did you meet, meet the guys? Uh, Billy and I were friends. Uh, we went to grammar school together. We've known each other since we were like 10 years old. Right. And uh, we both moved to the Bay Area at the same time. Bay Area is like San Francisco and the East Bay. Billy went to um, Berkeley and I went to San Francisco State. Yeah. And uh, we both sort of like had, you know, moved up there and had, you know, our friend group and started going to shows together and doing stuff together. And then at one point, Billy was across the bay and he moved over to San Francisco and we all got a place together. Billy, myself, maybe three other people in a big Victorian flat in San Francisco in the Mission. Nice. And uh, in that flat, we sort of had a fortune order and we started, started to uh, just record things. Just a um, bunch of us together. Just the concept of sort of recording things and having headphones and sharing the headphones and just adding things on top of other things. Like someone would lay down a drum track from a, a, a drum machine and then we'd add like an electronic bass. And we just started to collect different instruments and sort of like things in that way. And in that mix, Billy was sort of in Berkeley and he had joined a band over there called, uh, that they called Faith No Man. Okay. He met Mike Gordon, the drummer over there who was also going to Berkeley uh he and mike started playing with this guy mike morris who had started this band faith no man and with another keyboardist named wade and they started um this band and wrote songs and stuff and they were a band the rest of us were super supportive of that band and sort of like you know uh you know they became a big part of what we were doing and uh, I don't know, maybe some months in, for some reason, Wade, that that keyboard player dropped out. He didn't want to do it anymore. So I stepped in yeah. as the keyboard player and we started doing music together. And it was sort of like uh, more sort of driven by that guy who started the band. Uh, and I think at one point, Billy and Mike Borden and I kind of rebelled and said we didn't really want to follow that man's vision anymore and we kind of wanted to just do our own thing and we did mm. so we uh changed the name of the band of faith no more and just started doing our own sort of conceptual shows mm. Mm. Uh, um i i read something i don't know if it's true or not so i read that like your early shows you didn't really have a singer so you just sort of 
had a mic on stage and, and anyone could come up and sing, but that might just be bollocks. So I'm just, uh, no, it's kind of close to what we did. We sort of like, uh, I mean, it was a real point in which we had to sort of like separate ourselves from other bands who were doing, you know, shows. We wanted to prove, we had a lot to prove, like we were different. So we sort of set about like making our shows sort of like, we called them more events yeah. than just uh, shows. And every show that we put on would be, we wanted to do like the original intent was to write different songs have a whole different performance sort of thing and a whole different uh, presentation for every show that we did. And that meant uh, switching up singers every time. And oh, so there, is, there is some truth in, in, in that. Then. Yeah, 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 for sure. It was super audacious. Like, I don't know why, but we kind of figured like, I don't know, it was like, it's so ridiculous to think back on, but like, I mean, the singer to us meant that little that we would just like, it was like practically disposable, the singer, which yeah, is right. like, I mean, by any sort of like given sort of like concept with people who write music, it's like, yeah, the singer is kind of everything, you know? That's, that's true. But we were just, yeah, we were ridiculous. We were like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You know, whoever could just get up on stage and do whatever and sort of sing and it wasn't really important to us thinking back on that and looking at what we were doing. That's a crazy concept, but that's what we did. So our first show, like this guy, Joe pie, who was sort of in this band Papa pies that Mike and Billy played with. And I played with a little bit. Uh, he came on stage and really just did some sort of ranting, really just shouting sort of vibe more than singing. And that was yeah. fine. We didn't really care what he did. We were sort of like the direction was like, do whatever you want. We're just going to do these uh, sort of loop things that we did. We sort of like would create these musical sort of riffs. And our intention was to just like create the super hypnotic sort of like thing on stage and just let the person who joined us uh, as a vocalist just sort of do whatever they wanted over the top. And um, that was the first show. And then it kind of went on from there. Same, like, that's just what we did. Like every show we would, hold on. Yeah, it's all good. We would switch up uh, singers and stuff. And sometimes guitar players, too. We didn't really have a guitar player that we really liked. Right. So most like, uh, yeah, we would like switch singers and guitar player for every show for the most part. And, and that, then sort of it got kind of regular. Yeah, is that where, because um, also I read in the same um, article, this is where you kind of met Chuck Mosley. Is that right? You came up and sang a few songs. Chuck, yeah. Billy was in a band with Chuck in high school. Billy had a band called The Animated, and uh, Chuck was in that band. He was the singer, the keyboard player. So he kind of knew Chuck, and I knew Chuck a little bit, but not so well. Um, Chuck came in way after, sort of like, we had done like probably, I don't know, I bet we did like, I don't know, a bunch of shows. We had existed like as a band for like probably like, I don't know, almost a year without chuck yeah and just doing different singers and stuff and um yeah chuck came in like about a year in we kind of look we're looking for someone regular yeah and yeah he and, joined well and famously courtney love was in it for a few months as well is that right courtney was in it for some months yeah she was awesome she uh we kind of met her like uh Kind of randomly, she was a friend of a friend. Our friend Deanne had come to a show and we kind of had a following at that point. Like kids would come to our shows because there was like, it was a weird thing. It was really different. 
And uh, I think she had come to a show. Yeah, she came to a show directly from, I think she had just gotten back to the States from Japan. I don't know what she was doing there, but uh, yeah, she came to the show and pretty much just um, told us straight up she was going to be our singer. And we're like, oh, okay, let's try that. How were those gigs? Are they good? She was our singer for, yeah, some yeah. months. Do, what were those shows like? Was she, was she's, she's quite sort of off the wall, right? uh i don't know yeah she's super great super poetic really yeah. good with words super great with presentation like um when we met her she was wearing like a wedding dress like, a scrappy, <laughs> crazy, like weird punk rock club in san francisco called the mad that's sort of an indication of like you know i mean she was sort of bold and attention grabbing and super great with words wrote yeah. really great prose and poetics and lyrics for songs and was super devoted she did a great job at the end of the day, I think it was sort of like our energy at the time was a real male energy. And I think that sort of took over like yeah. uh, where we were and who we were and what we were putting out there. And also we were just in sort of this sort of stage of like switching things up constantly. So when Courtney joined singing with us, it was sort of we had been switching singers every show, every show, every show. And she joined. And then it was sort of like it was weird for us to like sort of establish any sort of regularity because we hadn't really been doing that and uh, i don't know yeah. a lot of things came into play are there any, awesome are there right? any re uh recordings or footage of courtney playing in the band or no? i don't think so there's a live thing that we did for some tv station like a public access tv station right. in which um like we there's a lot of flowers on stage and candles and incense that's what we were sort of all about <laughs> at that point nice. Uh, uh, is it right that you're um you kept in touch with her and you're still pretty good friends is that right yeah uh-huh yeah it's great yeah. it's great so yeah i mean you, like i said you're the keyboard player um apart from kind of pop bands there weren't that many bands around at the time using keyboards um in in rock do you think that kind of helped set you apart from the other bands when you started to take yeah off? for sure yeah good point yeah it was a super fun role for me to be in like like particularly in that style of music it was like really heavy yeah. Like that came up all the time. We were like heavy, heavy, heavy. Like mm. that was the sound that we were going for. Like Mike Borden's drumming is so intense. Oh, um, yeah, it's crazy. Just like pummeling, like really, really heavy. Yeah. And he and Billy had a really intense relationship. Like their sort of rhythm section that they did was like really heavy. Mm -hmm. And it was always that. And what we went for, like every time we would write or record or just jam together, was just these hypnotic sort of like heavy rhythms and heavy like stances with like really simple guitar um that type of music as it existed back then like yeah didn't generally have keyboards no no so for me to come into the mix and add something on top it was always sort of my goal to go for something like you know pretty and angelic over that heavy yeah yeah i was gonna say that it adds a lightness to it right yeah yeah i mean it's like it's a crazy place to go because like you know comes from out of the blue and like it wasn't really done right even visually to have like a keyboardist on stage was sort of like what do you yeah. do you know like how do you well, play a keyboard and make sure. it look cool because it well, always right bad. so how Wait. did you do it what, what's the secret i how think i just kind of rocked out like in a way that i've never <laughs> seen people do like i was like really just like pretty visceral and moving around with my body in a way that like i'd uh, never you, like i don't know we were just sort of yeah doing this thing 
you know, we all had dreadlocks. So that was sort yeah, of part of the say, look. Yeah, like it was yeah. a lot of head banging and moving yeah. and sort of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, well, you but know. like people didn't really do that back then. So it was sort of like unheard of. And it, and it did help set us apart from the rest of like, yeah. at least San Francisco at the time, like the bands that we were sort of emulating were like Killing Joke and um, mm. even like Joy Division or like Early Cure, like dark sort of stuff. Yeah. Is that dark what you were listening Cure. to? Yeah. Yeah. We listen to a lot of like weird political sort of like hippie music too. Yeah. Like, like what? I don't know. Whole bunch of shit. But <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was a real advantage like going in and being a keyboard player. Cause like I started off this conversation with like, that's what I always sort of go for is like getting attention or sort of like setting myself apart from like what other people are doing in my field sort of. So it was yeah. a, an advantage to go into sort of like recording and playing and performing in a realm where like there weren't really keyboard players so yeah. it was easy to set myself apart from like other people and set ourselves apart from other bands we never tempted to get the old uh what they call the guiano or kita 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 is that right <laughs> uh -oh. really good idea i haven't done that you missed a trick there uh -huh. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna fix my lighting a little bit. Yeah, that's all yeah, right. No uh, yeah, we had just... like uh, I think we used one one time in a video, but I never really used it live. It's quite hard, isn't it? You're looking down at mm. you. Like I think playing like this. Yeah, it feels like um, like maybe more like an accordion sort of, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, it's a different sort of like you know with the keyboard. You're like just down on it like yeah. that. But with a guitar, yeah. yeah, you suddenly have this horizontal vibe that you have to sort of like go with. Yeah. So when did when did things start sort of taking off for the band? Like were, were the shows always busy or did they start getting busier? Or? I think when we started getting regular, particularly with Chuck. Yeah. Um, we had an agenda suddenly. Mm. And it just made sense, like, okay, yeah, we would do some recording. And we did that. And with recording, like what I was talking about earlier with the man-on-man -man stuff, like you do a recording and just you have to sort of like get on board with like, okay, that means you've got to do a tour. Yeah, you got to take pictures to send out to sort of announce your tour. You have to write a bio that talks about the band and sort of like sets out a credo that you can send out mm -hmm. to people. So there was a sense of regularity that sort of kicked in when we started with um the regularity of like performing with chuck and creating our first record mm. and we went on our first tour and that sort of started everything yeah was that was a lot of that self-financed or did you get did you get a record label fairly early on it was all self-financed uh at least for the first like you know i don't know three four maybe even five years i really three like or four years. Yeah. i mean self-financed in that like yeah we had to sort of like when we did our first tour, we, you know, we traveled around in this like 66 Dodge. I think that we bought like, I don't even know, remember where that Dodge came from, but we scrapped our money together and we went out on tour and we gave ourselves each, there was five of us, six of us in this little truck with a trailer and we gave each other $10 a day to live. Wow. <laughs> Which Not isn't bad. very much, you know, back then it was more than yeah. it is today, but like 
we'd have that and then we'd get to the club and there would be loaves of bread and peanut butter that we'd sort of like hoard and like stretch and make work yeah. and then a lot yeah. of times we'd just have like canceled shows or like you know mm. we'd run out of money and we'd have to whittle down sort of our amounts like four dollars a day or something like that for each of us yeah but we did that for you know a, a long time then we'd come back from tour and have nothing mm. um so yeah i mean self-finance for sure for a lot of years it was a long Amazing. time until anything made any money yeah yeah did you feel that you were building something when you were doing that did it feel like something was it was it was worth it at the time i mean i think like at that age a super sort of i mean i was only focused on the sort of here and now i wasn't really thinking a lot about building anything mm. and it yeah. always felt a little bit ridiculous that what we were doing would become popular yeah i mean yeah. i'm not going to say that i didn't believe in it but i'm going to say i didn't really believe in it I mean, I believe in what we were doing. I really loved like our what we set out to do. And it was like super adventurous and provocative. I loved that mm. about it and weird yeah. and really different from like anything that other people were doing. And I loved that about it. Like we had a real sense of like surprise and sort of volatility and weirdness that just like was super different. And I was yeah. really proud of that. But yeah. in that same sort of like, breath i never thought that like general masses like people could get on board with what we were yeah. doing it just felt, yeah. it felt yeah. too weird it's like how could anyone like this yeah. i loved it but i'm a weirdo and we were all weirdos yeah. it just didn't make sense that other people would like it so yeah in terms of like uh goals and stuff yeah all i was kind of doing was sort of enjoying the here and now honestly yeah yeah so when when uh mike Patton joined what was the impact of that um it was more an impact of like losing chuck for me he was a really good friend at that point so yeah when we decided to part ways with him it was just sort of like just it kind of was what had to happen it was sort of limiting like it was limiting in terms of like what chuck offered vocally i love mm. chuck you know yeah yeah like, i, I love friends. those chuck mosey albums He's yeah great. so special and so like different like and he was part of like what i was talking about he was like the ingredient that made it so weird and he was just yeah. like mm. this character yeah. and like so awesome and such a great presence yeah so when we lost him it was sort of deflating for me it was like oh my god like what do we even do at this point it didn't feel mm -hmm. like um there was a future honestly but then Mike came in, who is so adept and he's so sharp and so good with like, you know, he's such a great singer and he's oh, yeah, such yeah, a good ear. Sure. And um, but he was super he young, right? What's that? He was super young at the time. He was. He was a lot younger than all of us. And that sort yeah. of set up a dynamic, too. Also, the fact that he was from a small town, like up at the top of California. Yeah. Eureka, and, is that um, right? If I remember right. What's that? Eureka, is that right? Something yeah, like that. it's something like I that. Think it's yeah, Arcadia, yeah, yeah. Arcadia oh, yeah. is, but um, yeah, at the top of um, California. Mm. That was sort of part of it too. He came from like he was like a a young kid from a small town, and we all lived in San Francisco, and we've been touring mm. and making music, and we had a little sort of a one up on him in terms of like life, sort of like uh, experiences and stuff yeah but what he brought to the table was remarkable like we had these songs that we had been writing for a new record that like 
even Chuck had been sort of singing on or creating stuff for, and we just mm. sort of wiped that all clean. And Mike came down for sort of, uh, I guess you would call it an audition or just to meet and sort of like see where things would go. And we recorded him just doing some singing stuff over these songs that we were creating for the new record. And it was like automatically, it was like, whoa. Yeah, he's got an insane range wow. in his voice, hasn't he? He's got like- yeah, insane range and just sort of like a songwriting sort of like um, vibe that we'd never had with Chuck. And all of a sudden it was mm. like, whoa, this is really different. And yeah. it mm. was exciting. Mm. So that I guess yeah. that's when you were sort of putting real thing together, is it? Around that sort of time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, real thing. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then, uh, when did you first first go over to the UK? Because I think you're always more popular in the UK than you were in America. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, UK was like way more embracing than the US was. We went over there with Chuck initially. Um, I guess we recorded like, oh yeah, the real thing is actually our third record. We recorded a record we care a lot for more. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just. Uh, and then the second record my head. Introduce yeah. Yourself. Yeah. yeah that second one introduce yeah. yourself exactly yeah. yeah uh that's when we went to the uk for the first time mm. and sort of yeah it's uh i don't know it was like um way quicker to sort of reach people in the uk it seems like Fuller, a smaller sort of like geographical well, region yeah yeah and also like kids like really treat music seriously there oh, that's okay. what we found which i'd never seen before like we were that of that ilk like we, oh, so like, we, yeah. we were so into music. Yeah. But it's kind of rare in America, you know? I mean, we didn't huh. have like generally, I always sort of compared to Top of the Pops. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, the UK had at that point, and it was like, you know, there were weird things on Top of the Pop. Oh, yeah. Pop. oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just pop music. It was like, you oh, know, yeah. just like, yeah, obscure stuff. And it was a massive. And everyone show. watched it. Literally, everyone watched. Yeah, yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Six, sixteen million yeah. viewers. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I, I remember Nirvana. That seemed it. to make a difference. Yeah. Mm. Like people were sort of adept at sort of like embracing new songs, new flavors, new themes, new ideas. Mm. Way more so than America. That's interesting. So in that sense, we went to England and toured and it was like immediately we had like this sort of like family of kids that got what we were doing who would sort of travel with us who were so cool i'm still friends with them today but like they would like hitchhike and like pack their you know packs and sort of like come on our tours like we didn't even Mm. we just started to see these kids like yeah oh my god weren't you guys in leeds the other day they're like yeah we're doing (laughs) tour i was like what and kids would do like i don't know six or seven eight or ten of them would do like yeah. the entire tour with us even like our wow. first shows and i was like oh my god like and it was just like yeah. the sense of community that like exists in the uk then anyway it, it, it didn't happen really in america in that way mm-hmm. and it was sort of like yeah catapulted us in my mindset about like what we did as a band and what we were to people it was mm. like wow like uk changed everything yeah wow and also cool. it was that's sort cool. of like this sense of like yeah america didn't get it like we toured and toured and toured and toured mm-hmm. and you know people would come to the shows but it was not at all like the uk or mm. Europe. that's cool man that's cool yeah that yeah cool. it was yeah. really cool for a young band it was so flattering like all of a sudden it was like oh my god like these people get us yeah, yeah. 
yeah yeah so when did yeah. things sort of start going a bit crazy for you guys was it <laughs> epic did that change well, I everything guess, yeah i guess it was was it i think so like it got really big in the uk and big in like europe mm-hmm. and we would have like uh you know sort of sizable family of people that would come and see us and then we go back to america and america was like sort of like didn't get it for a long time uh, still even after point, that. what's that even after that you released epic it still wasn't really sort of get resonating the same in the the u.s or? i think epic sort of changed everything and that video changed everything yeah. like once sort of like america got on board with epic then everything changed um yeah. and then it sort of leveled out like we were super popular in the uk and eu and not in america but then once mtv america started playing that epic video then it sort of balanced out and then we're like oh we became like yeah a lot more uh popular i was gonna say um you were kind of the tail end of that whole mtv generation right the videos were still super important um to break a band yeah, probably. I think we were stuck. We were right in the middle of it. Like, yeah, even after us, videos were so important. Because I remember I, I've got that. Um, is it video croissant? Your little compilation. Oh, right. Uh huh. I've got that on VHS somewhere. It's, you made some great videos, right? I got, I got an important question about the epic video. Is, is it true that the fish in the epic video belonged to Bjork? <laughs> No, I don't know how that ever started. I don't know what that rumor is That's about. I've seen that on the internet too. I don't really understand that. I read it in a, in a real book that, that, that was printed in pages. Um, it's not true. It seemed utterly oh. ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Why would Bjork have a fish? Why would Bjork have a fish, right? Have, like her fish. Oh, according like, to the know. story, I was she took it to a party at your I, house, I, at your house, <laughs> and it was stolen. My personal house? She took a fish to your house. That's what happened. Yes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right nothing like i was uh, a fan of sugar cubes and bjork but the rest of the band i don't think like it's funny like no one like i remember like debut playing debut on the tour bus and everyone was yeah. like no 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 and i was no, like this is no. ah, no, fucking good. magic good record and yeah. no one else in the band was even like it wasn't a yeah. fake no more thing it was a roddy thing. i mean no, she, I, she I, was I after the fish them. incident they probably yeah <laughs> she was a she was a bit of a weird one herself right still is i guess so that's not true then no no truth <laughs> no disappointing okay it's good to know though it's good to know <laughs> yeah a lot of those videos um, a lot of those videos were it was was it still when you had like big budgets to make videos back then i guess was it you were still yeah pretty much i mean it's like yeah i can't remember what the actual figures were like how much yeah. we would spend but once we made the epic video and it was as popular as it got then it was sort of like, you know, whatever you, we wanted to spend, we could. Yeah. And I don't know, just more out of sort of like, it was convenience more than anything to like spend a lot of money. Like we'd have to just sort of like pinpoint a date in which we could make a video and amidst the touring that we were doing and schedule wise, yeah. it was just like, yeah, we would make expensive videos, which is insane. Like now today, that's not done. Yeah. We made our man on man video for so cheap. We did it all by ourselves. And we like, you know, borrowed a space and got extras to come for free and spent like yeah. zero money. But back then it was like, it looks great. It looks great. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. spent on videos that were like, and did you enjoy that process? Yeah. 
I did. I th I thought it was really fun. Like I went to film school when I was in uh, San Francisco, so it was sort of like something that I had always paid attention to, and I like to watch the fruition of like things visually happen. Um, at some point, it became more of a sort of like just on the conveyor belt of the things that we were doing. We were touring, touring, touring. I have to make a video on this Saturday and then Sunday play in Philadelphia or something like that. And it got to be sort of like a little more run of the mill, but in a perfect sort of setting to be able to collaborate with a filmmaker, a director and talk about concepts and get like a look down. And what we were doing was, yeah, super rewarding. It's so fun. I love it now. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, part of the process. You were talking before about being weird, which you definitely were. I'm always interested also the fact that you seem to like um, appeal to lots of different kinds of groups, right? And be credible. So like the metal kids thought you were a metal band. We were kind of like indie grunge kids. We thought you were our band. You know, even people that just listened to the charts, they thought you were cool. How did you manage to do that and remain credible with everyone? I'm not sure, like, sort of, we were credible with sort of the music with the um, metal people, I think, really, initially, because Metallica sort of embraced us, you know? Mm. Uh, our guitar player back then was Jim Martin, was his name, the guy with the, like, yeah. long yeah, yeah, yeah. black hair and red glasses. Yeah. And he was super good friends with um, the old bass player in Metallica, whose name was Cliff, who passed away. Yeah. yeah. And even on our early shows when Jim joined the band and we would perform, like we've got this sort of like um, acceptance from Metallica. And then yeah. I think at one point, like James, the singer of Metallica wore a faith, no more shirt, like on the oh, back of a record. Oh, and so okay. it was like this instant credible. I've seen sort that picture. Thing. I've seen that. Yeah. Picture. I'm sorry. Yeah. The other Check day, my Metallica record. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, yeah. It was like on that garage days. Uh, record. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I but I don't know. So weird. Like that was another one of those instances where I was like, what? Why would these people <laughs> like our music? Like I, I tended to like Metallica. It wasn't where I went like as a, as a, like a music like lover, but I could get on board with it, but it was just crazy to me. Like that these metal sort of people or like people in Metallica that they would like what we were doing. I don't know yeah. why it was just a stretch. Yeah. So, I don't really know. Like I would felt way more rooted in sort of like punk rock or weird, like experimental stuff or like mm. provocative sort of sound. Um, and it was really surprising when sort of we got embraced mm. by like metal people. And then that just sort of grew and grew and grew. I mean, we, we, we encouraged it. Yeah. Intentionally you or not. Like cover, we went on right? a tour with like um, Guns N' Roses and Metallica. It's like, okay, so we, we were sort of establishing, our, establishing ourselves or like declaring in a super huge public forum that like we yeah. are that. Yeah. Aligning yourself. Like, yeah. I didn't really like, we did everything in our power on those tours to sort of separate ourselves <laughs> and let everybody know that we were different. <laughs> but it was a weird straddle, you know, like, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of kids turned on us when we lost Chuck and like, oh, they're kind of sellouts. They're more metal now. They're more about, I, I don't know. It was, uh, a lot. it's a complicated issue. Oh, really? You mean like the, the art indie kids turned on you? I feel after. like, yeah. 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 There's a definite, I mean, there's a camp of people that were sort of like, you know, like, yeah, surprised by that decision and sort of like we're not behind us in that way 
but uh that's kind of the magic of what the band was it was super confusing like it was like even to me now looking back on it, it was like what is this band like it's so <laughs> weird like really the guys from metallica like this band but they have a keyboard player and they have like and, you know it was just sort of like it was yeah. a confusing band and everyone like, looks like they're in a different band yeah and it was like a lot of different things going on and that's sort of what made it special too you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah we actually we we saw you on the uh guns and roses tour that's where uh that was a different tour i think it? well uh, well not, we, not this, the guns and roses metallica tour it was no, a this was tour. a ni- yeah. 92 this was you were playing it was you uh Soundgarden and guns and roses wembley stadium, uh, wembley stadium. Yeah. Wembley wow. stadium the big one I mean, how was it play- for I us? We were fifteen I'd years old. I forgot. <laughs> right. Yeah, you played. We, we I played 15. at Wembley Stadium <laughs> before. Yeah, you did. We I had there. no idea. The old Wembley. I forgot yeah. all yeah, about yeah. it. Like I had no idea. Sometimes I look at that, like I watch, like I don't know stuff. I see, like in that Queen movie I saw like a while ago. I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Wembley Stadium. I was like, I will never play there. So you forgot. Know. You played forgot there? playing Wembley there. Stadium. That's oh amazing. my god. Amazing. <laughs> it was I mean, good gig though. It was good gig. For, for us, we were 15. We were massive Faith No More fans, and it, it was amazing. How were like those massive stadium shows for you? But did you? I mean, like I just exhibited. I have no idea. <laughs> no idea. There you go. <laughs> no, I mean, like I do remember. It was sort of like it was sort of. Uh, we were very into our stance of like proving who we weren't at the time, if that makes sense. Like yeah. we are yeah. not a metal band. Yeah. We yeah. are not a sellout band that's sort of like, yeah. you know, is conventional or typical. And to the audience, we were a lot about like, you have no idea who we are or what yeah. we're doing. Like this second record we made with Mike Patton was called Angel Dust. And it was like, yeah, yeah. such a weird record. It was very it's my reactionary. Favorite. It's my favorite album. Amazing yeah. album. Yeah. Oh, thanks. But that record was like all about like proving to the world what we weren't. Yeah. So the whole tour after that was like, yeah, very Guns N' Roses and Metallica. And we were like, we are not this. Yeah, well, I remember. So I remember like, being on stage and like just throwing ourselves, being super physical. Yeah, and, like, I was going to say. Point. Mike Patton, we, I remember he was just all over where everything. He was, he was leaping all over the speakers and stuff. And yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, great. Yeah. Thing. That's yeah. cool. I mean, it must have looked exciting to young kids, I think, at the oh, time. Hey, it's amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah, oh, yeah, cool. yeah, but you know, you don't remember it, but we do. So <laughs> I do remember. I remember certain things. I remember taking like a microphone stand from my keyboard and just like smashing it on the stage. Right there, guys. Nice. I don't know. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was just like, Rah! like just like <laughs> I remember just wanting to hurt myself on stage. I mean, it was kind of where I was at at the time, also. But like, I remember yeah. just like. Yeah, it was a real point to sort of like prove this sort of like we were going to out aggressive. Yeah, I think that came across because we were like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah, yeah, we're just getting smashed. I was scared for Mike's safety, man. He was, yeah. (laughs) It was was on top of He jumped from the stage to like like the big screen. There's like a thing underneath the screen, I guess, for the light. And he somehow managed to jump onto that and was kind of. Yeah, that behavior was crazy. It sort of spreads, you know, us as a man, like one person does something and then we all just sort of <laughs> like up the ante, like yeah. Mike yeah, in that era was very like, yeah, very physically aggressive with like, and like so dangerous, like <laughs> that could happen today. 
No, no, that's what I remember him like jumping up onto like those big cranes that had the cameras and those those things, you know, like you know, that would go like from you know, and he would jump up on the crane and like ride the crane or like always jump in the audience, or we'd always jump in the audience, like just such crazy physical things, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of a live show, though. eh? It's um, it was great to watch. I mean, yeah, that's good, incredible, yeah. Can we talk a bit about Angel Dust, which you mentioned before? Because I think I said it's my favorite album of of uh, Faith No More, and I just remember, like, was it deliberately like contrarian? It almost seemed to the point of like self sabotage, where you're just doing completely what other pe- what different to what your previous album was. Do you know what I mean? I remember like, the first day I got it home, the cassette home, and just press play and it's like you know maniacal laughing and what the fuck is this i mean i love it but what is it i mean how deliberate was that super deliberate yeah i mean we sort of like i think with the record before the real thing we had just got a lot of attention suddenly for sort of like being what we were i mean mike is a really good looking young kid you know at the time yeah. I mean, he still is like a good looking yeah, man, but yeah. like when we started doing that, like it was the switch going from Chuck, who was super scrappy and like a person of color and like a mohawk <laughs> and like older and yeah. crazy and kind of like a more gravelly, intense voice to like sort of shifted gears to a younger white kid who sang really great and wrote sort of maybe more conventional sort of melody lines. So I think we got embraced as such, mm. even in terms of like the look of the band had changed mm. and we were mm. embraced by a, a community of people that were sort of maybe more prone to sort of like more orthodox or conventional sort of music form. So it was new, this mm. whole like attention thing that we got. Mm. So then when we went in to make the next record, it was like kind of what I was talking about earlier. It was like more than anything, it was like, we're going to prove what we're not. We are not yeah. that. We are not about yeah. making money. We are <laughs> we're not, not about what we were two years ago. Mm. We are not about uh, convention and we are not sellouts. Yeah. And yeah. also just amongst ourselves, like we had established a rapport musically and more than anything, we wanted to encourage that amongst ourselves. Like kind of like, I think what we tried to do mostly was go like different uh sort of uh musical directions that was really mm. exciting to us like we try like a weird like sort of bluesy song and i always yeah. was like encouraging let's do like a really super pop song like that was really <laughs> exciting for me yeah. and let's do like yeah. a weird like grindcore like crazy noise song yeah it was all yeah. about extremes and just sort of like you know challenging ourselves and challenging mm. our audience i think yeah. but it was super intentional we knew going into angel dust that we were going to try and create something that was different and abrasive mm. and hard to swallow and yeah. initially yeah people were like uh-uh like the, i remember the record company was like what the fuck <laughs> like the guys i remember like it's a, it's a much coined phrase that one of the um record company guys came and like listened to the songs and he was like i hope none of you bought houses <laughs> like, well the, the us the fans we loved it so yeah. yeah fuck fuck them right i mean at the end of the day it was super adventurous and weird and like people yeah. embraced it and like accepted it for what it was so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that was a super rewarding record to make mm. uh, go that far out on a limb 
and to have it sort of like embraced in the way that it was, that was really rewarding. Yeah. 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 Um, also, I love the fact that when you did after that, you did follow it with the cover of, of easy, super smooth soul song, but, um, but you paired it with be aggressive about, uh, blowjobs and uh right <laughs> stuff like day, that right <laughs> yeah uh, again Looks was like that that's what we did yeah. yeah yeah so obnoxious <laughs> was that a conscious decision you, uh, you it just always came up yeah we always had that in our milieu is like you know like yeah let's do like a, a you know uh like yeah like crazy you know lionel richie song or commodore song and like you know it was always like that's the way that we operated like that's the way we would sort of like present things in the most mm. jarring sort of fashion we could yeah 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 great i mean that was quite a big hit wasn't it as well the the uh lionel richie cover it was in this i country, guess anyway, was I it the people yeah, like it was that. like it was huge yeah it was, it was big huge, big like, over here yeah for sure yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun yeah. video too. Like the video of that, we used like a lot yeah. of drag queens in the video, yeah. which yeah. sort of like felt like you know, cheeky and provocative at the same time. That was really cool. Yeah, remember it well. Yeah, the band kind of came to an end late nineties, was it? It all sort of two thousands. It sort of fizzled out. Was that just a natural sort of? end to an era i guess so yeah it was pretty natural yeah mm. i think people were like what i talked about before about people's aggression on stage like it kind of spreads like wildfire like mm. one person in the band like mike always had mr bungle that he was always doing was there was a resentment sort of like, about that what's that was there any resentment that he was kind of prioritizing it I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's just mm. a subtle sort of like, what are you doing? How committed are you to this when you have this other band? Yeah. Mm. But he had that other band and sort of at one point, like sort of you reach a point and we reached a point in Faith No More where we had pretty much accomplished everything we wanted to do. Mm. And we could have continued down that road. Mm. And um, I don't know, at some point people had different projects. Like I had Imperial Teen, I had started. And it was already going by then, right? Yeah. Well, I kind of wanted to like, I, I kind of like wanted to spend more time with that at the time. And Mike, I think like, I don't know, like I said, it spread like wildfire, like people then started having different ideas or, you know, yeah, it's just got really complicated. So in, yeah, in one sense, yeah, it sort of reached its natural sort of end of like what we were doing as a band. There was resentment and stuff and like fighting and like, mistrust mm -hmm. and stuff but it was like sort of yeah i was set on the natural course of like i mean at that age when you're like i don't know how old we were in our 20s or 30s whatever like kind of late 20s or whatever and making decisions that we had to make like with each other like in that context like yeah all of us together like every single day like making decisions every step of the way it's in quite terms intense of, like, right? musical decisions creative decisions yeah. business yeah. decisions yeah. Um, I mean, it is what it is. It's what we sort of built and stuff, but it's yeah. a lot to ask of kids at that age to sort of do for yeah. that long. Like, I don't know, we were together like maybe 15 years or something. And it's like, yeah, mm, something yeah. like that was really taxing. Yeah. And I think everyone kind of needed a break from that. Yeah. Yeah. And you took a break for like 15 years or so, I guess. 
Um, yeah, and, yeah. Like, no one. I would have never thought we would have got together again. Like it's it a, was well, right. Well, Soul Invictus. It's a great. I mean, when it came yeah, out, um, I dutifully bought it because uh, you know, as an old Faith No More fan, and it's just much better than it needs to be. It's just a great oh, record. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, how was it to to write together again and all of that? Well, it's kind of a a lot easier than it had ever been. I think after sort of like that long of a break and sort of the coming back together, uh, it it was really easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, did you play? You played Coachella, didn't you? Is that right? We did. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's... That was our first. I think that was the first. American show that we played after uh, we sort of reformed and started doing shows. Yeah. Maybe we played some. I think we maybe played some San Francisco shows. I can't remember. But like Coachella was one of the first, yeah, big shows that we did in America. It went down well, right? I saw it. I was watching it on YouTube earlier. It's a good it was crowd. horrible. I was the word. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> what do I For me, anyway, like it was, it was like Coachella. Like I lived at the time in Los Angeles. And I love Coachella so fun. Like, I mean, like you guys get festivals in, you know, England. We don't really do that in America. And we hadn't done that. So like just the concept of a festival in America was something new. Yeah. Like there were festivals and stuff, but like few and far between. And Coachella was the first one that sort of put the festival sort of like spectrum on the map in America. And they did it really, really well. And I would always go with my sisters and my nieces and whatever and nephews. We would like go and like it was a thing that I was really like into. We went every year to Coachella. It was so fun. You some see a million bands, you know, great festival. And then when Faith No More got like, oh my God, we're gonna play Coachella. It was like, oh yeah. my God, it's so well, exciting. I- my family was there and everything. Like yeah. it was really high stakes, <laughs> I think. I, I had a problem with my keyboard on stage. Uh, okay. Like it's yeah. a really quick turnaround on stage yeah. as it is with festivals, you know, and I don't know, for whatever reason, my keyboard wasn't working and I had like sort of like technical difficulties. And we had this whole like we were playing that song Ben by um, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I saw yeah. that. Didn't he go into the crowd <laughs> okay. for that? Didn't he? Mike, Mike went into the crowd. Didn't yeah, he? he probably did. I mean, yeah. from an audience perspective, I'm sure the show was fine. Yeah. It was just personally, like in that song, like that was a big keyboard driven song and I didn't have, my keyboard wasn't working. It was just like a million things that didn't really. How did that idea, how did you sort of think, hang on, why don't we do Ben by Michael Jackson? How did um, how did that come about? That's just sort of where we go. Like someone will say like, you know what I heard the other day? I was at the like bodega or I was at the liquor store. You know what I heard? It was so good. It was like, you know, like, yeah, Ben. Like, oh yeah, Ben is really good. We should try to cover that. <laughs> That's where it always goes. Like the most extreme yeah. sort of weird. Like, I think we usually went for like a drama, a sense of drama in a presentation uh, of a cover that we would do. Really? But I don't know. That's how that would usually come. But for whatever reason, that didn't go down. I mean, it, it wasn't a great show for me. It was yeah. horrible. Going back to the whole festival thing, then. Did you, so you really enjoyed playing the festivals in in the UK? I guess. Back in the yeah day. so much so like you could see so many bands like at a festival yeah like david bowie grace jones like you know pulp uh yeah. just like yeah. you know like such a crazy mix of shit like tricky yeah. like just at, at that time yeah. portishead like every yeah. band yeah. that i loved i could go and yeah. see and like just walk over there okay at 3 30 yeah like you know whoever like 
yeah, yeah. so many new order is playing it you know just like i'm crazy mix now i mean my sort of take on the now is maybe now it's changing a little bit but like for the past 10 years festivals have been a lot more sort of one flavor i don't I think, know glassbury maybe is still sort of like all over the map i think you get a bit of different clientele these days because their festivals yeah. are more expensive and it's usually it's a lot of sort of richer kids that sort of maybe aren't so much into the music but just want a night a good weekend oh really is that true a, a little bit a little bit That's, yeah yeah which is I would hope to think that like people with not as much money could always get in, but I guess that's not, that's just like not the case. That's an entitled sort yeah. of like stance to take. Like, yeah, people just can't afford to like go. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you're going to still get your diehard fans. It's just really hard to get tickets for UK festivals. Now you've got to be like on the computer. Right. You've got like a, a 24 hour window with a hundred thousand other people trying to get the same ticket. So, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Glastonbury is still a great festival. I haven't been for years, but still looks. I've like never been to Glastonbury, but that's always the one. That one in um, near Barcelona. What's that one called? Oh, what is that? Bene? Uh, Primavera? No. Oh, Primavera. Yeah, that always that looks it? like such a fun. Yeah, that yeah. looks like such a fun festival. Didn't you yeah. guys play Download? Yeah. We played download. Uh, we did, yeah. Yeah, that was. That. I think that was. We played download. That was the first sort of like big reunion show that we played in mm. the UK. And I had no idea at the time. Like when we talked about doing a reunion thing, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, we'll do like." I don't know. I don't know why I was thinking, but it was just like, "Oh, we would do some clubs and stuff." Like, all right, download. Make no more. Like, we're huge. They were a massive. Band. There was literally a hundred thousand people. Of there. course. Like. What's space no more fuck? of course yeah huge yeah. band i didn't realize <laughs> you didn't realize yeah. that how big you were no <laughs> that's great wow but, um all right we've kept you a really really long time so we're gonna we're gonna let you go and finish your breakfast it's cool. Thank you thanks for the so chat much. you guys thank you thank you so much we'll let you go all right to your breakfast enjoy the rest thanks of your very day. Much. Thanks. thanks a lot see you later thank you. see you later Bye. we'll let you know when it comes Bye. out was that was roddy bottom in his dressing gown um dave uh any comments on the interview as you weren't in the interview itself yeah i really enjoyed that one and it was one of the first we did but yeah, yeah. Was, what what a person to have on it how did you get him on neil literally just emailed him and he said yeah all right don't ask don't it probably get was it. the greatest moment of my life <laughs> to be honest i can't think of a better one interviewing Roddy Bottom man just amazing amazing experience you both did really well because you know you're obviously very excited to meet him but I thought <laughs> yeah, it was uncovered the man's some a legend things. I'd just liked how casual it was making his oatmeal in his dressing gown I just think that's that's obviously just the kind of guy he is well you, it's interesting like you say like legend and the thing that I took away from it he was he just seemed completely unaware I first feel like how yeah. huge Faith No More were and are, <laughs> yeah. and how like I revered they are. He he seemed he didn't seem to be aware of it, which is you know that's so that's totally endearing, right? Yeah, because like when we was talking about the comeback, and he in his head he thought they'd be playing in front of like twenty thirty people in a club somewhere, <laughs> but they played Download. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of like like we spoke about it in the interview is. And we spoke about it before the interview as well. Is 
You just can't really pigeonhole them, can you? Yeah, and I think that's what came out of the interview as well. Just like they were a really weird band. And yeah. it, it was 100%. pretty mental that they became so big um, without yeah. compromising. It seemed yeah, having that contrarian nature throughout the whole process and they still managed mm. to become really big. That really came out in the interview and I hadn't really considered yeah. it fully before, but they really were. They really were. Yeah, well, the whole sort of when they got together, the way they sort of found their singers in the early days, it's just like a karaoke thing, but with them playing mm. and come up, sing, see how you get on. I mean, that's yeah. fucking mental, isn't it? When you hear Roddy meet Roddy, you think, it's, I'm surprised at how heavy the band was. He seems more like someone that would have been in REM. I don't know if I like you saying that. But... <laughs> but aren't they, don't you think there's some parallels between them and REM? Go on. I can't see it myself. I don't know. I think I'd you're be... going down the art route, aren't you? Art band. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. They're more of an art doctor, I could be completely wrong about REM. No, I think. California, I... But... They're not I'm from not California. Sure. They're from Athens. They're from Georgia. They're completely wrong. I mean, I, I personally hate all the early REM Oh, shit. oh, mate, I'm glad you said that. I fucking detest every single early REM album up until out of time. Even green they're one of the, shit. They're one of the few bands where their early stuff that's supposed to be good is the shittest stuff. Oh, man, can I have a quick rant? Because I fucking detest them so much. And it really annoys me that people... that. People go on and on and on about how amazing they are. There's not a single note. There's not a single line. There's not a single memorable melody in the, all of those albums. They are all completely nothing. They might as well not exist. I've listened. I've got them on vinyl. I've put them on the record player. And I've, you know, half an hour later, it, the, the thing's finished. And I haven't even noticed that anything's happened in my life. They are nothing. They don't exist. They are shit and I hate them, and I hate everyone that claims they're good. Um, uh, where were we? They're on next week, aren't we? We've got <laughs> the, the drummer. Yeah. Oh, I was going to try and get them on, you bastard. They might still come on. They might do. They might do. Out of Time's a half-decent album. Automatic for the People is well, there you like go. Nearly, nearly, nearly perfect, right? Those so what early, are you talking about? Stuff. No. Oh, you mean the no, early I'm saying stuff. I like those. I like those. I'm talking about the right. early stuff on IRS records, which everyone thinks are better. And I think yeah. they're just awful. Not that they're, they're not even awful. They're nothing. They might. They don't yeah, exist. Well, this is the thing. That's the reason. Everyone goes on about how, how they were together for ages before, like, losing my religion made them massive and stuff. And the reason that yeah. it took them so fucking long is because everything was so shit. It was again. It wasn't even shit. It was. It was. I can't even. I can't explain it. I can't explain how it doesn't exist. I don't. Do you know what I mean? I so try to listen, not, and nothing goes on. Goes in. So it's not that it's not music. It's not even. It doesn't even exist to you. Maybe it's like the AE's production values. I don't know what it is. I've I've tried to listen, and it doesn't go into my my brain maybe it's me i i i'll, I'll hold my hand no, maybe I'm with, it's me i'm with it's, you i'm with you on the early rm stuff thanks, man shit but anyway um, we digress we digress we do um <laughs> anyone else on the, on the interview dave any more comments yeah i need to ask you know i've got to ask chat gbt what what i should say and i wasn't yeah, you know you should have done that prompt. already oh, it's quite a humbling experience I, I spoke about this after the interview with ben as well you know, we were in a really sort of privileged position to chat to, you know, we saw him at Wembley Stadium. 
(laughs) And we're chatting to him having breakfast over breakfast. That's nuts to me. Yeah. 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 Um, And what a, just what a nice guy. eh? What a nice guy. And even like at the end, um, he gave us a little bit of advice as well, didn't he? You're probably going to cut it from the um, interview. But But he said, you know, like he gave some advice for the podcast. He said, keep it Mm. personal and that kind of thing, which was, you know, just, it's just like a really, really nice guy. Yeah. Like, like Dave said earlier on, like, how did we get him on? Yeah. I just sent the guy an email and he, you know. He doesn't have to do it. He's got, he's got fucking loads of other shit he could be doing. Do you know what I mean? I guess he just thought, why not? A bit like Ben, still really proud of what he achieved in that time. And probably still likes to talk about it, you know? Why not? Yeah. I think I would. Yeah. And I like, I like the fact that he's still doing great stuff. So seriously, everyone, check out Man on Man. You won't be disappointed. Um, one one thing um, I liked about him was he just seemed like sort of a super liberal guy. Like, yes, yeah. You know, like when you asked asked him to do an interview by email, mm. you know, just thought, okay, yeah, I'll do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. I think that's that's him to a T. He's not afraid to, you know, like do like loads of DIY stuff from, from like selling like, you know, whatever, millions of albums with Faith No More. This Cricket's, Cricket's record is, is this, it's a hand-stamped record um limited to i i don't i don't know but probably a few hundred right but he's not yeah. afraid to do something like that even though you know he's probably not getting any kind of financial gain from it whatsoever but he's just mm. keeping himself interested doing interesting stuff um you know collaborating with cool people and the fact that he's willing to to do that and you know even though he's not like the front person in that band he's just playing the keyboards and I, I just really like that about him, having that kind of like underground sensibility, uh, even after being in one of the biggest bands in the world, you know. And I think that's a really cool thing. Right. So technical problem. We seem to have lost Luke, uh, but it's we'd finished rambling anyway. So now's probably a good time to finish the podcast. Thanks for watching or listening, whichever medium you are using. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Roddy. Uh, let us know in the comments. Um, we're trying to build a bit of a community here. So if you can comment below, let us know what you thought about the interview. Give us any sort of faith no more experiences that you might have. If you're watching on YouTube, then please do subscribe to the channel. Uh, give it a thumbs up. All helps us get found so that we can bring this podcast to more people. If you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, then give it a review again helps other people find the podcast if you're not already then please do join our facebook group it's a lot of fun in there and um, it'd be good to grow that community a little bit more but that's it for the faith no more episode please do join us next week where we've got an interview with jeremy cunningham from the levelers so that's a good one tune in next week same time probably same place wherever you watch or listen um we'll see you then